0: Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis Fourteenth, and I'd like to, of course, remind you to please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it right now. We are, of course, on social media at PopPantheonPod on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at DJLOUAEXIV. I also want to remind you that we have merch available at PopPantheonPod.com, of course, the niche legend dad hat also i have some other ideas that i want to bring to the merch table but whatever we're we're discussing that but for now niche legend dad hat I must have. And then I want to plug our Patreon, of course, Pop Pantheon All Access, where we publish at least three bonus episodes of the show per month. Our most recent episode is a discussion of the Renaissance World Tour. I invited my friend Omri onto the show, who many of you guys might know from our Chromatica Ball wrap-up episode. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, you know him from a recent New Music Speed round. He was quite popular. Uh, I'm sure he'll be happy to hear. So I invited... Omri on the show, he went and saw the opening two nights of the tour in Stockholm, Sweden. Russ is on the show, he saw the tour in Toronto. I saw the show in East Rutherford, New Jersey a couple of weeks ago, and we all just came together to sort of share our experiences, what we liked about the show, what was interesting about the show, how Beyonce has evolved as a performer, what the crowds were like, etc., etc. It was a really fun and insightful conversation. So that's our latest Patreon episode. You can get that and the rest of our Patreon content at patreon.com slash pantheon or by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. Last plug up top is Gorgeous Gorgeous. My queer pop party is happening in both L.A. and New York in the coming weeks. The next L.A. installment will be a week from Friday, October 25th at Resident in downtown Los Angeles. And then our second New York party is happening in Bushwick on September 16th at the Sultan Room. The first one was literally one of the best nights of my whole life. I'm so excited for the second one. Again, September 16th at Sultan Room. And tickets to both of these parties will be available in the links in the show notes of this episode. All right. So this is a new A-side about Jennifer Lopez. This has been an off-requested episode. We were originally planning to time this episode to the release of her new record, This Is Me Now, which is coming out at some point this year, but... I figured no matter when that record dropped, it would be good to get a primer. We do know that album is forthcoming, and this is kind of groundwork, I think, interesting conversation about Jennifer's career as one of the most, I think, unique pop stars of the last 20 years in terms of helping to create a version of pop stardom that's centered around X Factor and a cult of personality. That's something that we see a lot in pop stardom these days, where... Pop music is just one in a number of avenues in which to sort of deliver your charisma, your star quality, I guess. And Jennifer in the early 2000s was really unique in the sense that she was equally famous in numerous milieus, whether it was movies, music, celebrity, fashion, whatever it was. She seemed to be someone that was the ultimate multi-hyphenate. You couldn't peg her down besides just being kind of JLo, lo an omnipresent cultural force. And I think that that's something that's become much more common in the social media age with artists like Cardi B and Lil Nas X and I would also throw Lizzo into the mix although I don't know if we're speaking about her currently but that was one of the most interesting elements of this episode for me was seeing the way that Jennifer really acts as a predecessor to a lot of the ways that we think about how pop stardom functions these days so without further ado here is pop pantheon Jennifer Lopez There is a very common brand of pop stardom in 2023, represented by social media superstars like Cardi B and Lil Nas X, where the act of actually making pop music is less of an organizing principle and more one amongst a number of activations in a larger branding project. This is not to diminish the musical talents of these folks, who have no doubt given us some of the best pop tunes in recent memory, but more a reflection of how culture and fandom has evolved in the last decade or so to center cults of personality, in which the star at the center can funnel their x-factor into any number of things, whether it be a TV show, makeup line, or even a slew of hilarious biting Instagrams or TikToks, only needing to make music when they choose. This unconfined, multimedia approach to a pop career would not exist, I don't think, without Jennifer Lopez, an icon who, through the 90s and 2000s, carved what was then an utterly unique path through popular culture, one where she was equal parts movie star, fashion icon, tabloid fodder, and pop sensation. The phenomenon that was Jennifer Lopez had less to do with any one thing she did, although she's a pretty great actress, knocked out some of the most memorable singles of the period, and was probably the most famous, and not to mention, beautiful and glamorous woman in the world. It was that through sheer chutzpah, determination, savvy, and large-scale vision, she was able to remake the nature of celebrity and by extension pop stardom in her image. Jennifer Lynn Lopez was born in the Bronx in 1969 to David and Guadalupe Lopez, both of whom were natives of Puerto Rico, but met in New York City. Growing up in the Bronx, Jennifer danced in school musicals and studied flamenco, jazz and ballet. After graduating high school, she attended the Phil Black Dance Studio in Manhattan and decided to pursue a career as a professional dancer. Jennifer's first gigs were touring in musicals, but she soon started to land work as a backup dancer in the pop world, performing alongside MC Hammer on Yo! MTV Raps in 1990 and with New Kids on the Block at the 1990s. American Music Awards. That same year, she landed a coveted spot as a fly girl dancer on the hit TV show In Living Color. As a Fly Girl, Jennifer was briefly signed to a record deal with Giant Records, which wanted to develop the show's dancers into a girl group, but the idea quickly fizzled. She performed on the show for two seasons before leaving to work as a backup dancer for Janet Jackson, appearing in the video for Janet's 1993 hit, That's The Way Love Goes. In the mid-90s, Jennifer pivoted to acting, scoring work in a series of television shows and movies, including starring opposite Robin Williams in Jack and Jack Nicholson in Blood and Wine. Her big breakthrough in Hollywood came in 1997 when she was cast to play American Tejano singer and pop star Selena Quintanilla Perez in the biopic Selena, which earned her a Golden Globe nomination and made her the first Latina actress to earn a million dollars for a film role. Having always shared an equal passion for dance, music, and acting, in the late 90s, Jennifer decided to parlay her film stardom into a music career, siding with manager Benny Medina and eventually landing a deal at Sony with legendary record man Tommy Matola, who helped guide her transition from rising film starlet to pop icon. Released in June 1999, Jennifer's debut album On the 6, named after the subway line in New York City featured credits from some of the biggest R&B songwriters of the day, from her then-boyfriend Puff Daddy to Dark Child to Corey Rooney. Her debut single, If You Had My Love, a slinky, sensual pop groover that cannily infused elements of Latin and R&B music, was an instant radio smash and quickly climbed the charts, scoring her an out-the-gate number one platinum record. This moment at the turn of the millennium where If You Had My Love topped the charts and dominated MTV, her film career was taking off, her relationship with Puffy was all over the press, and she was able to make massive waves by simply stepping onto a red carpet as she did with her infamous green Versace dress at the 42nd Annual Grammy Awards, became a stunning formula of cultural saturation that would define Jennifer's singular imperial phase. You could not turn anywhere without experiencing some iteration of Jennifer Lopez, and her determination and star quality made her successful at seemingly everything she attempted. Launched amidst a Latin pop boom that included Enrique Iglesias and Ricky Martin, On the Six went on to produce a series of hit singles, many of which like Waiting for Tonight and Let's Get Loud brilliantly treaded the line between Jennifer's Latina heritage and broader mainstream pop sounds, and all of which helped the album go triple platinum in the United States and sell 8 million copies worldwide. Jennifer's film stardom also continued to balloon with box office smashes like 2000's The Cell and 2001's The Wedding Planner, the later of which came out the same week as her sophomore album, simply titled J.Lo, and together, made her the first woman to have a number one film and album at the same time in America. JLo's lead single, the bombastic R&B ode to financial independence, Love Don't Cost a Thing, which seemed to directly reference her on the rocks relationship with Puffy, peaked at number three on the Hot 100. A remix album, 2002's J to the LO, The Remixes, which rejiggered some of the album's poppier songs into more spare, harder edged, hip hop oriented duets with some of the biggest rappers of the moment, was even more successful. Hits like I'm Real Murder Remix with Ja Rule, which spent five weeks at number one, Ain't It Funny Remix, also with Ja and also a truck topper, and the Top 10 I'm Gonna Be Alright remix with Nas can only helped situate Jennifer's music and by extension her as part and parcel with hip hop culture, then having its most central moment yet at pop radio. the early 2000s, Jennifer continued to work her formula of duetting with rappers on tracks which nodded at her upbringing in the Bronx, the birthplace of hip-hop, most notably on the number three peaking Jenny from the Block with Jadakiss and Styles P, and the number one hit All I Have with LL Cool J, both of which helped power her 2002 record This Is Me Then to multi-platinum status. Jennifer was also in the midst of another highly publicized relationship, this time with the actor Ben Affleck, who was infamously featured in the video for Jenny from the Block and was the inspiration for. any of the songs on the album. However, Benefer, as they became known in the media, also seemed to mark a moment of potential oversaturation for Jennifer, whose hot streak across numerous platforms seemed to hit the skids in the mid-2000s. After a two-year hiatus from music, during which she split from Affleck, whose film with her, Gigli, had been an infamous bomb, Jennifer got together with fellow musician, Mark Anthony, and returned to music with 2005's Rebirth. Rebirth's lead single, the jangly horn-laden slammer Get Right, was a moderate hit peaking at number 12 on the Hot 100, but the album largely failed to live up to the commercial success of its predecessors. In 2007, Jennifer released both her first Spanish-language album, 2007's Como Ama Una Mujer, a moderate commercial success but one which got generally negative reviews, and her fifth English-language studio album Brave, her least successful to date which peaked outside of the top 10 on the album's chart and failed to produce a hit. After a decade of unprecedented cross-format success, as the 2000s came to a close, the rise of a new generation of pop stars like Lady Gaga, Rihanna, and Katy Perry seemed to spell the end of Jennifer's run as a chart-topping pop superstar. But ever the dogged self-starter, Jennifer had a few more tricks up her sleeve. Through the early 2010s, Jennifer continued to float singles like 2010s Louboutins, none of which caught on. She eventually parted ways with Sony Music and signed a new deal with Island Def Jam, which released a duet between Jennifer and Pitbull, the edm come latin dance-pop banger on the floor hearkening back to early hits like waiting for tonight on the floor became an unexpected comeback smash for jennifer landing at number three on the hot 100 and selling more than 8 million copies worldwide That same year, Jennifer joined the judging panel on American Idol. In 2012, she scored a top 20 hit with Dance Again. Since then, Jennifer has continued to release music, including her 2014 album, AKA. From 2016 to 2018, she starred in a successful Vegas residency, All I Have. She's continued to appear in film and television, including a critically acclaimed comeback turn in 2019's Hustlers. In June 2020, she co-headlined the Super Bowl with Shakira, and in November of last year, she announced her ninth studio album, This Is Me Now, framed as a sequel to This Is Me Then, and inspired in part by her reunion with Ben Affleck. The album is expected to be released later this year. Jennifer Lopez has sold 80 million records worldwide. She has four number one hits, 10 top 10 hits, and one number one album. She has five platinum records, one platinum EP, six platinum singles, and seven gold singles. She's received an iHeartRadio Music Icon Award, an MTV Generation Award, a Billboard Icon Award, one Billboard Music Award, nine Billboard Latin Music Awards, three American Music Awards, a Glad Vanguard Award, two BMI Awards, a CFDA Fashion Icon Award, three MTV Europe Music Awards, and four VMAs, including the Video Vanguard Award she's also been named as one of Time magazine's 100 most influential people in the world Here with me to discuss the life and career of Jennifer Lopez is chief content officer for Latin and Espanol at billboard Layla Cobo. Uh-huh. All right, I'm here with Chief Content Officer for Latin and Espanol for Billboard, Layla Kobo. Layla, welcome to Pop Pantheon.
1: Hi, Louis. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here.
0: I'm so, so excited to have you. So before I even get into my whole spiel, before we started recording, you were sharing that you had an interesting personal interaction with today's subject early on in your career. And I told you to pause it because I thought it would be fun to share with the listeners. So can you talk to us a little bit about how, for your first ever— celebrity profile you actually interviewed jennifer lopez
1: (laughs) i believe it was my first cover story ever wow and it was latina magazine which was still a magazine back then it was still a print magazine it had just launched and it launched after the movie selena Mm. and so my cover assignment was to interview jennifer lopez And the theme of the cover was how Jennifer Lopez became Selena. And so in the interview, we started in the makeup room and I kind of sat with her while she got her makeup done and she transformed from Jennifer to Selena. So for me, she was a star, but she wasn't, of course, what she would become. Mm. So she was still very accessible. But for me, it was also kind of my first rodeo in that scene. So everything was very new to me. I remember being very starstruck. I remember she walked into the interview wearing sweatpants, sweatshirt and carrying a little dog. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. She was such a star. And then we sat down to talk and she was a great interview. She was a lot of fun to talk with. Very articulate, very centered. She knew what she was going to say. But all those years, I still have the magazine somewhere, I have to say. And at the time, everything was so new, you know? Yeah. It was Selena, the movie, and then this actress, because she was an actress back then. Right. She still hadn't recorded anything major.
0: Did you have a sense of the superstar that she was going to be? I mean, you were saying she seemed so poised. She seemed like she knew exactly what she was doing. When you walked away from that, were you like, this girl's going to be a megastar? Do you remember having a sense of that?
1: No. I didn't. Mm. But I don't think I had a sense of that because I was new to the business as well. We both were in a way. And I didn't have a sense of what a megastar was. I do remember being amazed at the transformation. And I do remember thinking, wow, this took a leap of faith on her part to do it in the movie and to do it here in front of me, which I think said a lot about her, that she was willing to enter the makeup room with no makeup Mm. and kind of morph before my eyes. I think that said a lot about who she was as well.
0: Very interesting. You know, there's a lot of pop stars now for whom the act of making pop music is a secondary brand extension to a larger vision of stardom. I think that's become an extraordinarily common milieu in pop in the social media age. Lizzo comes to mind to me as another example of somebody like this or Little Nas X or Cardi B, another incredibly successful Latina woman in the pop space, not to diminish any of their talents as musicians, but there is this feeling of music being one amongst a number of things that add up to a broader sense of generalized stardom that is facilitated by social media, is facilitated by their personalities. And you get a sense if music's not working, you could picture them pivoting and doing something else. Lizzo, I always think she could host a talk show or Cardi B similar. You know, there's lots of different things they could do under the umbrella. And pop music is just one avenue for them to express star quality. So now that's very common. I think you could trace a little bit of that idea back to Jennifer Lopez. The thing about J-Lo, when I think about her career, is it's about the sort of j ness of the whole thing more than it is about any of the things that she actually does. Of course, she is a great actress and she's made a lot of good music and she's had a huge impact on fashion and she's done a lot of things. But at the end of the day, the entire thing is more about the act of being J-Lo or conveying j ness and everything else feels kind of secondary to that in a way that, for instance, it doesn't for Beyonce, in which music and performance is clearly the avenue for which we deliver Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Whereas with J-Lo, there's something greater that all of this feels like an extension of. Is that how you view her as well?
1: Yes and no. I think people view her rightly as an actress first, because she was an actress first, at least to the public eye. So she starts as a dancer and in living color, and then she starts to act. And then she has certain success in acting. I mean, she was definitely climbing the acting ladder. And then the Selena role comes along. But she has told me and many other people in different interviews that singing is something that she always was doing and wanted to do in a more serious fashion. I think that had the Selena movie not come around, maybe it would have taken her a little bit longer to get into singing. But I think she would have eventually landed there in some fashion because it was something she really wanted to do. So the fact that Selena happened, I think, was the catalyst For her to be able to go to Tommy Mottola and Epic and say, I want to have this conversation. But my understanding is the conversation had been had before. Right. But this movie was what allowed it to really gel and crystallize and happen. So I think, yeah, she's a multi-hyphenate, but I think music was never the side project. Music was something Mm. she did along with acting. But I do think she stands out more as an actress. Yeah. And I don't think that's entirely fair, mm. especially now that I was listening to her whole opus over these past couple of weeks that I've been waiting for this interview, yeah. I've been thinking, wow, this is really good. Oh my gosh, this was really good. Right. Yeah, she has misses, but she has a very <laughs> big output. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think I just mean it more not to diminish her musical output, but more celebrity brand being the sort of forward thing beyond whatever avenue that comes through. That feels like a very modern concept that she almost understood before it became popular. Before that became the thing that most people do. It was like Jennifer Lopez knew how to package her j ness and put it into various different formats in a really effective way. I don't think there's a lot of stars that you could say have had somewhat equally successful careers in both film and music. Usually one is much more obviously the thing that is weighted towards, but she really has had equal success in both things. We see her, I think, as both things. I think both sides could make an argument that she is more famous for one than the other, which is very uncommon, I think. I mean it more as a compliment that speaks to her sort of ideas about celebrity and the way that branding functions and the way that she sort of organized herself as a business entity that felt ahead of its time, I guess is more what I meant to say by what I was positing to you. I think she's
1: very unusual in that regard. No one else comes to mind, at least not in the Latin world.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Certainly not in the Latin world that's been able to do that. That's been able to navigate two worlds so successfully and not just navigate them, but in her case, they intersect quite frequently. Like what she did with El Cantante and then what she did now with Marry Me with Maluma. Mm -hmm. I think she's one of these very few stars that everything she does has an impact of some sort. And she really is able to venture into territory that at first glance, as an observer, I think, oh my God, I can't believe she did that. This is... Not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And it works. Yes. I've come to the conclusion that it's the way she owns it.
0: I was going to say confidence, supreme confidence. Yeah.
1: It's very remarkable. It is. There's been instances where I'm like, how could you do this? You know what? I'll give you an example. When she wore the famous green Versace dress in the red carpet of the Oscars. Yes. And I thought, what the heck is this <laughs> woman doing? And then, of course, it this becomes a...
0: Cultural phenomenon. Yes. That's lived on.
1: And it's amazing, right, Louis? Because what that did is that instead of diminishing her as an actress, or a singer, it actually elevated her on both platforms. Yes. I don't think many people could have pulled
0: that off. No, she's very smart, clearly. I mean, she clearly understands how to work celebrity. She is one of the best celebrities that I think has ever been in the game. She knows how to be a celebrity, how to portray glamour, how to work sort of the public narrative, how to work the public narrative into the art and vice versa. I mean, she is an extraordinarily savvy operator in this way. Yeah. One of the smartest that I think has in history has ever approached these things. And you know, the internet saying, oh, she'll be famous forever. Jennifer Lopez will be famous forever. No matter what she's doing, you know that until she takes her last breath and beyond that, she will be a star, an icon. She's just one of those people. So- in getting into the story can you just give us a little bit in broad strokes jennifer's backstory just the key factors that feel relevant to understanding her rise and her talents Where does Jennifer Lopez come from? And what do we need to know about her in order to understand her story?
1: Jennifer Lopez comes from the Bronx. And I think that's an integral part of her story. She comes from the Bronx. And Louis, correct me if I'm wrong, both parents are Puerto Rican, right?
0: That is correct, yes. They were both born in Puerto Rico, but they met in New York City.
1: Yes. And I think she's very much that. Mm -hmm. This is not something that she's ever tried to hide or ever tried to gloss over. She's from the Bronx, she's proud of the fact, and I think that really informs who she is. Today, when you think of somebody like Jennifer, who is born to Latin parents here in the United States, even though Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, but she's born here, she's completely bicultural. Mm. And I think that's part of her identity, which is something that wasn't that common 25 years ago. It really wasn't. There were, of course, a lot of people that were bicultural and bilingual, but they were not in the public eye as much as they are now. So in that sense, I think she was also a pioneer. Mm. In owning her background and owning her heritage. And even though she was doing stuff in English, she wasn't moving in the Latin world per se. Mm. She was very much identified with her Latin heritage from the onset. And you see it in everything she did. Even in on The Six, which is an album in English mostly, it's a very Latin album as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like most of her albums incorporate some elements of the music of Latin America. I mean, she's constantly nodding to that. And I think it's really interesting what you're talking about, about her sort of ownership over her from the block, per se, upbringing. That's always been a really interesting dichotomy in her work and persona that I think has been very effective is sort of the combination of the utter glamour. I mean, obviously, she is one of the most glamorous and beautiful celebrities in the world, but she's always really stressed a lot in her music, the idea that she hasn't changed, that she comes from humble beginnings, that she has this background as being a Latina girl from the Bronx has been something she's very much put forward in her work all the time. As I was listening to a lot of the music, I was thinking to myself, it is that dichotomy that makes it work. Because if she was just this untouchable, glamorous, beautiful woman, I think that might feel like icy to the touch or hard to connect to. Mm -hmm. But it's really that element where she sort of owns her around the way girl status that I think helps temper what might other seem like an untouchable glamazon or something like that
1: i agree but having said that i think that was a risky thing to do back then Mm. i mean today being latin is cool and everybody talks about it and it's the music du jour Mm. and all of that but in the late 1990s it wasn't Mm. ricky martin notwithstanding It just wasn't. And it certainly was not in film. So I think she took a risk by embracing that side of herself and maybe using it as a differentiating factor. Mm. But it was still a risk. It was something that people were really not doing and people were not really buying into it.
0: So one thing that I read, for instance, was that she grew up around a lot of music in her house, singing, dancing. These were all common practices with her family, with her extended family. The other Thing that I read that I thought was fascinating considering that she is a Latina woman who's probably one of the most successful ever in both fields that she's become successful in that apparently watching West Side Story had a massive impact on her growing up that that film and watching that made her decide that she wanted to be an entertainer which I found really interesting as probably a rare example of Latina representation in mainstream American film from that period in Hollywood history. I feel
2: pretty oh so pretty I feel pretty and witty and witty and gay, and I pity any girl
1: Even though, in retrospect, obviously West Side Story is the Latin experience seen through the lens of people who are not Latin. Right. It's a beautiful score. Yeah. It has some of the most memorable songs, in my opinion, ever done.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's set in the Bronx.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> so I think that that connection had to be powerful. I mean, she was Maria in a way, if you think about it. Mm. One generation removed, but I can see how that would totally inspire her. Mm and she started by dancing mm-hmm. it was a household of women and her sister obviously has also been very successful in her own realm which is journalism so My sense is that they were expected to be successful. And I think that shows in the results.
0: I think that's true because I think the other thing that I would say besides supreme confidence that feels like a key to understanding Jennifer Lopez and her success is ambition. I mean, she clearly, and I think you were even sort of speaking to this when you were talking about having interviewed her. I feel like Jennifer Lopez knew what she wanted, saw the giant size of what she could be, and kind of would stop at nothing to achieve it. That's what I think of when I think of Jennifer Lovers. If we were going to look at the embodiment of the American dream, I feel like you couldn't find a better example of that than in this person who clearly just saw this for herself and then just went for it with absolute verve and immense grit and hard work is the sense that I get from her.
1: She is known as a tireless worker. Yeah. She has that reputation. She has the reputation of being the person that gets up really early in the morning, gets her workout in.
0: Yeah, for sure. Doesn't drink much. I heard very disciplined in general.
1: I'm sure. I understand that she's in every business and creative meeting. She's there. In other words, she has a team, but she is on top of absolutely every single detail. Yes. And it shows. And I think that part of that has to come from the fact that she really worked her way into it, Louis. Yeah. This wasn't an easy start. I think we all think of J-Lo as Selena superstar, right? Like it's a one-two punch. Mm -hmm. and People kind of forget everything that came before that. This dancing career was brutal. Yeah. It was long. It was brutal. It was inch by inch almost. It took a while. Mm -hmm. You did a million gigs before she got like a first small role. Right. And I think that those million gigs are the hardest thing an artist can do. For sure. Once you're there in that lane, there's ups and downs, but you're already on the lane. Right. But getting there is so difficult. And she knew no one. I mean, she really worked from zero.
0: Can you talk a little bit about what it might have been like to be a young Latina woman aspiring to break into mainstream entertainment in this period. Who would have been her role models or what was the track record for Latina women having the mainstream success that Jennifer Lopez clearly was envisioning for herself?
1: I don't think there was any role model for her. The only role model I can think of is Rita Moreno.
0: (laughs) Right. Speaking of West Side Story.
1: Speaking of West Side Story, who, of course, is another generation. And then, of course, Rosie Perez was the choreographer of In Living Color. I think she would have been a role model. Yes. And Rosie has been very successful too, Mm -hmm. but not like Jennifer. Right. What about Gloria? Oh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Gloria definitely as far
0: as singing. Yes. Because she was kind of in some ways the most successful Latina woman in American popular music at that particular moment, I'm assuming. She
2: was. Come on, shake your body, baby, do that
1: song. But I think Gloria's trajectory is different because Gloria always went with music and she was a singer songwriter. Mm -hmm. So I think the image of Gloria makes it possible. Mm. But Jennifer did carve a lane that didn't exist. Right. I think that the debt of gratitude that anyone who has a career in music and entertainment now here in the States being Latin has to Jennifer Lopez is huge.
0: Why do you think there were such barriers to entry? Like, can you talk about what the attitudes were in mainstream pop music or movie stardom? What made it so difficult for Latina artists to break through on the level that she eventually did?
1: I think being Latin was, until very recently, a total disadvantage. I think that's part of the reason why she did a lot of roles Mm. that weren't Latin specific. Because really, how many Latin roles were there in film for women back then? Yeah, right. I mean, there were none. So she couldn't take that lane. She had to take a mainstream lane where she had to show that she could do anything and be successful. And I'm not saying she hid her Latin heritage because she never did that. Well, her name is Jennifer Lopez. Mm-hmm. I mean, to her credit, she could have changed it to Jennifer Smith, yeah. but she did do that. <laughs> sure. So it was extremely challenging. If she had taken just a Latin route, I don't think her trajectory would have been the
0: same. Right. She had a very canny idea of how to make sure that stayed part of her identity, but also she was able to kind of play both sides of it very effectively. As we were sort of getting at earlier, Jennifer discovers this ambition, this desire to be an entertainer. She's growing up in the Bronx. At 18, she becomes a full time student at Manhattan's Phil Black Dance Studio. She ends up teaching classes there. She's teaching jazz. She teaches tap dance. She moves to Manhattan and she's living in the dance studio, sleeping there at night. And she has her first professional breakthrough in the late 80s when she spent about five months touring Europe as part of like a musical review show, then came back to the States and in the early 90s started to have breakthroughs dancing for like MC Hammer on MTV Raps. She then started getting hired as a backup dancer for New Kids on the Block. She played in musicals like Jesus Christ Superstar in Oklahoma and danced in music videos, including very famous ones like Dougie Fresh's Summertime and eventually Janet Jackson's That's the Way Love Goes, a very famous video In which you can see Jennifer in the background, which is insane to think about Jennifer Lopez being a background dancer, but there she is as a background dancer for Janet. Her sort of most high profile and biggest breakthrough job came when, in the early 90s, she got cast by Rosie Perez in In Living Color. Do you have a sense of just generally what the show was like? It was
1: like a, I don't want to call it raunchy, I would say an edgy variety show
0: that had a very diverse cast. Right and featured a lot of dancing and dancers. Yes. the like a balloon. it's never too late and it's never too soon. Take it from me it's to in living color.
1: So it was a little bit like Saturday night live but not really. It had comedy skits and music and dance and she was one of the fly girls which were the dancers. But in living color stands out because there was a really diverse cast and in this alone it stood out. I don't think there was anything else like that.
0: And was it was enough of a cultural phenomenon that you think people were aware who the Fly Girls were? If you were watching the show, would that have made Jennifer somebody that was famous to those who watched the show?
1: Yes. I mean, there were these beautiful girls dancing. There was nothing like it. Interesting. And it really does inform what Jennifer does, doesn't it? Yeah. Because it's so risky, I think, to say, I'm going to become a serious star, but I'm going to start as a dancer in skimpy clothing (laughs) in this comedy variety show. I think it's the The fact that she owns these moments that allows her to transition from places where you would never expect people to be able to
0: transition from. Interesting. One thing that I was reading was a quote from Rosie Perez, who I think is interesting that you brought her up as a potential precursor or someone that Jennifer might have looked up to in the space who really noticed that she had star quality. I mean, Rosie Perez literally said that she really stood out to her. She was able to pick up on what Jennifer was offering and that she didn't complain one time. She said she was maybe the only dancer that they ever cast on the show who did not ever complain about hours working, the amount that they were doing, which I think tells us a lot about Jennifer's drive and work ethic, which I feel like are such integral parts of her success. And I was reading that while she was doing that, she was also taking acting classes at night as well. You can see the sort of brewing multi-hyphenate here, even in this early period, working harder than everybody else, doing everything, not being limited into one space. I feel like Jennifer Lopez, and you sort of were getting at this earlier, she would have found her way to super- superstardom, no matter how she had to get there. And I think that's interesting that you can sort of see that she understood that before anybody else did, which is kind of what superstars have to have. This is something I come across in the show a lot, which is having that vision for yourself, feeling almost superhumanly confident in that is like the mark of a true superstar. They really do see that about themselves commonly before anybody else gets it. And I think that Jennifer embodies that in so many ways. So the story, as I understand it goes... The head of Virgin Records wanted to sign the Fly Girls. They wanted to make them into a girl group, but that deal fell apart. And then Lopez was offered a deal to be a backup dancer on Janet's Janet World Tour Mm -hmm. and essentially turned it down because she wanted to pursue acting. Yet another risky betting on herself and believing in herself sort of move. I can't imagine there's many dancers out there in 1993 that would turn down dancing backup for Janet Jackson, who at the time was the biggest pop star in the world and probably every dancer's dream. And she does begin getting acting jobs. In 1994, she gets a small role on the show South Central. She then appears in a couple of other small roles on TV, and then she has her first major movie role in Gregory Nava's 1995 film, Mi Familia, in which she got a nomination for Independent Spirit for Best Actress. It
1: was the first film I remember seeing that was made by Latinos for Latinos, Mm. and very important. It was about the Latin experience in the U.S. Mm. You know, I'm not from the U.S., I'm born and raised in Colombia. It's a completely different experience. Uh So that's why I also go back to the fact that she's born and raised in the Bronx. It's a completely different experience being born here than being born in a Latin country. And it's just interesting. You go back to Jennifer's history I think she's been very consistent with what she represents, with what she does. She's really never wavered. It's never felt like she's taking advantage of the moment. She was trying to do it since the very beginning to leave her Latin mark. It's just that the opportunities were more limited, but the few opportunities that there were, she took.
0: Yes, 100%. Soon after, she got cast in the action comedy Money Train. And then she was also in a supporting role in The Robin Williams movie, Jack, and then starred opposite Jack Nicholson in the neo-noir thriller Blood and Wine. The most important and crowning moment in Jennifer's initial rise to fame is when she gets cast in 1997's Selena biopic, Selena. You were talking about this earlier. She became the first Latina actress ever to earn a million dollars. Do you have a sense how big of her fame was going into making Selena? And then how big of a deal was it that Jennifer got this? Did that make sense to everybody? Was she a welcome casting? What do you remember about this movie as it was sort of gestating.
1: I perceived her as an actress on the rice at that moment. She was known. Right. People definitely knew who Jennifer Lopez was. It wasn't like, oh, an unknown is being cast as Selena. No, right. no, it was Jennifer Lopez. She's this Hollywood star. There was a little bit of debate at the time because she's not Mexican-American. Right. She's Puerto Rican. And so I do remember that there was a little bit of a debate there of, wow, why didn't they select a Mexican-American to play the role of Selena mm-hmm. or somebody who represents that culture? Mm-hmm. But then what she did... I just remember when that movie came out, she looked just like Selena. It was really uncanny. And I did speak to her about that in one of the film's anniversaries. And she just talked about how she prepared for the role mm. and how she watched videos of Selena performing again and again. She really tried to act like her, to sing like her, to dress like her. I think she did a remarkable job. I've
2: never been scared by a crowd before, not even when I was nine. But then he started to sing. Eh? Oh, I love it. You know, sometimes I think about the things I never had. Like I guess I never had a normal childhood. You know, because I finished high school by mail. Spent more time in Big Bertha than I have anywhere else. But when I was on that stage. That was like nothing I ever
1: felt before. Having said that, I still don't think that the mainstream world really got Jennifer as a result of that movie.
0: Mm. Can you say more about why?
1: Because I think Latin just wasn't really part of the mainstream consciousness, Mm. even though Selena had been murdered, right? Right. So that had been a big story in and of itself. There had been a lot of press, but there wasn't that passion that surrounded that character in the Latin world. Mm. I think in the Latin world, Jennifer's role as Selena was more impactful than in other worlds. But what that role did is that it opened the... The door for her to do all these other things that she hadn't been doing before. I mean, she became a lead character,
0: right? How do you remember Jennifer Lopez's stardom after Selena? Did she automatically seem like a huge deal at that point? How would you characterize her success following that film? I think she became a huge deal.
1: I think she went from being an actress on the rise to being an A-lister and the cover of magazines. Right. I don't think she had had magazine covers before then. I think it made her go from a second. character or supporting character
0: to leading lady. What did it mean to Latin audiences to play Selena? I mean, Selena was such an important and humongous star to that world. That seems like such an uncanny opportunity for Jennifer. It's like this moment where preparation or ambition meets an opportunity that you couldn't dream up in a sense. Can you just characterize what it meant for Jennifer to portray Selena, especially following her murder? What did that represent or what did that mean?
1: I think for Jennifer, it was a tremendous opportunity. Opportunity, but like so many things with Jennifer, it was a tremendous risk. Here you have someone who's Puerto Rican portraying the most beloved right, <laughs> right, right. Latin singer of all time who's just been killed mm-hmm. and who happens to be Mexican. So these are two completely different cultures. They share the language. So I think that Jennifer, for her, that was a risk. She had to really do this really well. And she did. I think one of the reasons she was also able to pull it off is not just because she had a similarity to Selena physically, but also because like Selena, she came from growing up in a bilingual, bicultural environment.
2: Mm. Even
1: if one was in Texas and the other one was in New York, it still was that kind of dichotomy of cultures. And so I think that allowed her to really understand the Selena character. Mm -hmm. And also, interestingly enough, I think Selena and Jennifer are very similar in that Selena was very entrepreneurial, Louie. Selena had her line of makeup and her line of clothing. She had all these things going on. And even if at that time, Jennifer didn't, that would definitely inform her. This was a character that she felt a lot of affinity with. Mm. Post Selena, she became an icon. right? And she became known all throughout Latin America. Not everybody in Latin America knew Selena. Mm-hmm. Selena was very much a U.S. Mexico phenomenon. She wasn't an Argentina phenomenon. She was not a South America phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Her music was not playing in those countries at the time of her death. Mm-hmm. And thanks to Jennifer Lopez, it did. So Jennifer allowed Selena to go beyond the confines of Mexico and the U.S. as much as Selena allowed Jennifer to really become a star here.
0: Wow. In thinking about those peak pre-music movies, do you- remember what makes jennifer stand out on screen how would you describe what she's like as a star
1: she's just one of these people that eats up the screen i mean i think she's stunning you know every time i see her in person i think this woman has the best skin i have ever seen in anyone yeah
0: truly she really does i don't
1: know what she uses but it's not just about being beautiful in film and tv isn't it you have to have so much more than that yeah she just really consumes the screen And she's very versatile. She's very good at rom-coms. But I think she's really good at drama. I think Anaconda can be kind of a B-action thriller, but it's so much fun to watch. It is.
0: Yeah, my boyfriend and I watched it the other night, actually, and we were just cracking up the entire time. But it is weirdly enjoyable, despite being kind of patently awful at the same time.
1: I gotta say, I'm a big fan of her films. They're fun. It's just X factor, kind of, right?
0: Yeah. I think the other important factor that we should put a pin in before we start talking about music is that she also began to work the celebrity angle really effectively during this period. I think most pertinently, as you mentioned, obviously the dress comes around this time, but she started dating Puff Daddy, which was a huge deal. They became a very A-listy couple. I think this speaks to Jennifer's general understanding of the way celebrity works, not to diminish the reality of that relationship, which I'm sure was real, but what I remember understanding about Jennifer before she even became a singer was here's this famous, beautiful actress who's also dating Puff Daddy, and they have this really... (laughs) (laughs) fascinating tabloid romance. Can you talk a little bit about Jennifer's public image as she becomes the superstar? How is she perceived by the public in this moment through these relationships, through her movie stardom? How is she seen by everybody as she becomes famous?
1: Well, I think that she's seen by many people as the most beautiful woman in the world, first of all. And she's such a clever combination because it's the beauty. She's a Hollywood star. At a time when there was no one named Lopez in Hollywood, Well, George Lopez doing comedy. Right, right, right. (laughs) Completely different, but she's this superstar. Right. And she's gorgeous. And we talk about Puff Daddy. Yes, she dated Puff Daddy, but she's dated all kinds of men. And they're not all celebrities. Right. And that's also interesting about Jennifer. You know, when I met her, I believe she was married to her, her first husband. He was a hairstylist. Right. But she also dated Casper, who was a choreographer. So, I think she just likes to fall in love. She falls in love and she falls in love with whoever she falls in love. Right.
0: I just remember that the Puff Daddy thing, it was interesting because she had become this breakthrough movie star. But then I remember the Puff Daddy thing. It's sort of that dichotomy between the glamorous movie star and then shoring up her hip hop bona fides in a way. Man,
2: what y'all want to do? Want to be ballers, shot callers, brawlers, booby-dipers.
0: In the bands with the spoilers. on the low from the Jake and the Taurus. I remember thinking about the relationship with Puffy as, oh, interesting. I thought of her in this one particular way, and she's sort of also this other thing. And I remember it kind of helped me understand when she did make the transition to music. Somehow the relationship with Puff Daddy helped set that up in an elegant way, weirdly enough to me, in terms of just, oh, so she's part of that world too. She's part of glamorous Hollywood world, and then she's also part of hip hop culture in a way, which I I think is two ingredients that sort of play out a lot throughout her career.
1: Exactly. And they do. And I think you can trace that back to her roots, to her early days where she comes from. She obviously grew up surrounded by Latin music, but also surrounded by hip hop culture. Sure. I think her dating Puff Daddy, who was this hip hop icon at the time, And then it eventually all bleeds into her music, like you say. Yes, It's all kind of enmeshed. I also remember that she was dating him, and at the time of the famous green dress, he was very famous. Of course. He was the guy at the
0: time. Oh, yeah.
1: And then she walked the carpet with that dress, and I feel she upstaged him.
0: Of course. Upstaged everybody for all red carpet history. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Then the other part about it was they did get arrested famously. I remember that was like a huge moment where he got arrested for gun possession. She was with him in the car. And I remember that being the sort of thing that gave her some weird sense of cred. Police say a high-speed chase involving Combs, Lopez, and two of his men riding up front spanned 20 blocks up 8th Avenue through
2: at least 11 red lights. When the squad cars caught up, a gun was found near the front seat. Everyone in the car was arrested but only Lopez would be released. She
0: had this glamorous, beautiful image and she had had all this success, but there was also a little bit of like a bad girl image that arose both from the dress And from being enmeshed with Puff Daddy, being arrested for gun possession, it just created a lot of intrigue and fascination around who she was as a person. That's what I remember. I was 10, 11 years old at this time. I just remember being fascinated by her and fascinated by this glamorous, beautiful Latina actress who was like showing up on red carpets looking like this and then would leave with her cool boyfriend and then get arrested. I don't know, it was just, she was very intriguing and mysterious and interesting to me at that time. Yes. She dumped him soon after, I think she she realized that that was not the direction she wanted to go in.
1: Yes. Hip hop is part of her persona. Mm -hmm. And you see it especially in her
2: music.
0: Oh, for sure. Much
1: more than in her films. But in her music, it's been part of her persona from the get-go. I mean, yes, she had to do the remix album to really get into that space, but it's part of her persona. So
0: in thinking about the transition into singing, you mentioned that that had always been an ambition of hers that had predated the movie thing. What do you think the challenges she's facing here are in terms of parlaying this new movie starlet thing into a singing group? What is the precedence for this? If there is any, who is she looking towards and what are the challenges? you think she faces as she attempts to sort of turn this movie stardom thing into pop stardom?
1: Very hard to go from being an actress or an actor Mm -hmm. to being a successful singer, very hard. Mm -hmm. And I think that for her, it's been a challenge all her life to be really taken seriously as a musician, as a singer, and also as an actress at the same time. It's hard to navigate those two things. And there's very little precedent for that. I'm thinking now Lady Gaga, but Lady Gaga started so different because she started as a singer. Mm -hmm. Then she went into film. And I wouldn't say Lady Gaga has had an extraordinary film career. You know, she's had a couple of roles. So not because she's good or bad. It's just because she hasn't really gone there. No, no, I get it. So I think for Jennifer on the sixth there was a big machinery behind it. Mm -hmm. The timing was very good because this was when the Latin explosion was happening.
0: Can you talk a little bit about that and what was going on in the Latin explosion in pop music at this moment?
1: At the time that Jennifer came out with her debut album, which is On the 6th, Latin music was having a big moment in the United States and in the world because there were a series of artists that had kind of set the stage for big success. Selena among them. You know, Selena had won a Grammy Mm -hmm. before she was murdered. And then Ricky Martin recorded his Living La Vida Loca. And before that, he performed the Cup of Life at the Grammys. And it was probably the biggest moment in Grammy history ever. Wow! People remember that performance. He went there with a big Brazilian band and batucada and horns and all kinds of Latin percussion. And he performed the Cup of Life. And people at the Grammys were just kind of sitting down watching the show and then This dynamo takes the stage, and everybody got up on their feet. And Mm -hmm. it was a big cultural moment. And then very soon after, Ricky was going to release his first ever English language album. They added Live in La Vida Loca to that album as the last single that they put in the album, by the way, Mm -hmm. becomes this huge smash. And then suddenly people start thinking, oh, wait, there's a market here for Mm. this, for these Latin artists doing this music that's Latin flavored, but it's in English. Mm. And so Ricky had that big album. Then Mark Anthony had a big album. Mm. Then Shakira had a big album. And then in the middle of this, the Jennifer conversation starts to happen. Mm -hmm. So it made sense. Okay, so Jennifer Lopez wants to record an album. Yes, that makes sense. And we're going to do it. And first of all, she's a known quantity as a actress but she can definitely do this. You know, let's do this. This can be successful. There is an audience that is buying this music.
0: And I had heard that she wanted to initially record in Spanish and that it was Tommy Mottola with whom you mentioned that she signs that sort of encouraged her to sing in English. Did you hear that? Yes,
1: I had heard that too. And in fact, the album has a song in
0: Spanish. We'll come back to that. But let's first talk about her debut single, which is 1999's If You Had My Love and its iconic music video, which they kind of work in tandem, I think, in terms of breaking Jennifer through. My understanding of the history of this song, I wonder if you know this story, is that it was written by Dark Child, who at the time was an extraordinarily successful producer who had produced huge hits for Destiny's Child and obviously Brandy and Monica and was a massive R&B force at this time and had been working on Michael Jackson's 2000 album, Invincible, and had pitched If You Had My Love originally to Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson loved the record and thought about recording it, but decided that it would have sounded better with. A female vocal, which is how it ended up in Jennifer Lopez's hands, which is a very interesting trajectory. I would love, love, love to have heard Michael's demo of If You Had My Love. I mean, it would have probably been incredible. But how would you describe this record? And why do you think it is such a successful entree for Jennifer into music? Like, Why is this song the song that makes the whole Jennifer Lopez musical project gel so successfully here on their first swing?
1: Well, I think the album as a whole is a very eclectic, Album, which I love about it, and the song I think it's a perfect song for her. Yeah, it's sultry, the lyrics are sexy without being sexual. Mm. I think it kind of embodied everything she was at the time. It has this cool groove. It's not Latin. It's not R&B. It's like pop, but it has all these little elements in it. I don't think Jennifer gets enough credit for her vocals.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's hear about it because she gets dragged left and right for this. I want to hear the defense.
1: She does. And I don't think it's fair. I think she doesn't have a powerful voice, but I think she has a beautiful voice. And I think she has a completely identifiable, distinctive voice. Yes. And that is to her credit. So I don't think she's trying to belt it out in these songs or anything like that. And I think she does it really well. Yeah. I think her voice is like her. It's all very sexy without being over the top and raunchy. She never goes there.
0: No, it's true because she's ultimately got her eye on big tent stardom and she wants to be as accessible as possible, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love, love, love this song. This might still to this day be my favorite Jennifer Lopez song. And I think your assessment of it is very accurate and interesting, which is that it's got this polyglot sensibility to it. It's R&B. It does have Latin flourishes to it, which I think is really interesting, but never never in your face. Like there's certain rhythmic elements to it that sound almost salsa-esque in some ways. I think it's also a really interesting introduction to her musical persona because as we mentioned Jennifer's a boss right Jennifer's whole vibe is I'm in charge I'm the CEO of my life I make everything happen I'm tough I'm from the Bronx and I'm sexy and sultry and I feel like this song really embodies that cuz you were talking about a sort of sultry sensuality which it definitely does have and of course I think her connection to Janet is very interesting because I think here you have Janet, someone that utilizes an extraordinarily small voice to great effect in a lot of her music. And I think it's interesting because I think Jennifer Lopez throughout her career and a lot on this particular record where there are these kind of quiet storm R&B moments, feels like she's definitely ripping a page out of Janet's book in some ways in terms of how to utilize a small voice effectively and sort of a sultry voice effectively on record. But what I really find interesting also about If You Had My Love is the way that it sort of sets terms. I mean, the song is essentially being like... If if you wanna be with me, here's how things have got to go. The only way I'm gonna be with you is if you sort of behave in these particular ways that are pre-approved by me. And I think that that's a very effective vehicle for why we like Jennifer Lopez. And it's something that she returns to a lot again and again in her music. And we're going to talk about these songs. But anything from Love Don't Cost a Thing, etc. These songs often come in the package of a woman who is in charge and who is setting the terms for her relationships.
1: I'm actually glad you said that because I think that Jennifer's messaging through the years has been Remarkably consistent. Yes. That also speaks to the kind of single focus that she has maybe, Mm -hmm. or the focus that she has overall. But her message has always remained that. It's really incredible when you listen to that album and you hear the biggest hits and you think, this is Jennifer Lopez, right? It was surprising for me to learn that that song hadn't been made for her. Yeah. Because it sounds like it was
0: made for her. A hundred percent.
1: The thing about On The Six in general and this song in particular, I mean, they really went, they got the best producers. They got the best songwriters. Yeah. They took a lot of care in delivering this kind of very sleek pop sound, they really worked that sound to kind of get to that mix that you were mentioning, Louis, that, yeah, it has a little bit of Latin, but it has a little bit of this. There's a lot of production work on this album.
0: No question. And there's a lot of great songs. She got good selections here, which I think speaks to probably, you know, how much they were throwing down on her because of how successful her movie career had been. This song obviously hits number one. I think probably to many people surprise to see a movie star kind of come out the gate with a yes. giant pop hit. Obviously, the video also an incredibly important part of this, which is such a Y2K style music video where she's getting kind of cyber stalked by this horny guy who's watching her in her house unbeknownst to her. It's an interesting little video that's going on, but she looks absolutely gorgeous in it. Looks amazing, and there's an amazing dance breakdown that comes in the middle of it where the music speeds up and she gets to kind of show off the choreography element, which is another really important element, obviously, of her pop stardom. But the video is an emblem of 1999. It just looks exactly like every. video did she's in some sort of random spaceship setting yeah i couldn't tell where she
1: was i'm always like so where is she i mean but i wonder how much of this was deliberate because it embodies who she was. They managed to put everything in those four minutes. Totally. The song has all this very stylized pop, but it has a little bit of Latin, has a little bit of R&B. And then, like you said, they somehow managed to get a choreography going on.
0: Yeah, exactly. And
1: then she also has the fashion going on because it's like a fashion show. Totally. Everything is there. And then she's also acting. Well, it's a music video. So everything is there. Right. And she's bigger than life in this. This video. It's not like a video where she has a bit role. No, she is the role. She is the center of attention. Yes. It was just a very definitive calling card, I would say.
0: Yes. Are you enjoying this episode? Because if you are, let me tell you, if you're only listening to the Pop Pantheon main feed, you're only getting half the story. Over on our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access, we're now offering at least three. Yes, three bonus episodes of the show per month. We're talking about all your favorite new albums like Jesse Wears' That Feels Good, digging into all the big singles of the month on our new music speed rounds, and of course, deep diving on classic albums like Janet's The Velvet Rope, Ariana Grande's Positions, Lady Gaga's Chromatica, and so much more with all of your favorite pop pantheon guests. All of this, plus you'll get access to our Discord channel, input on future episodes of the show, and so much more. So what are you doing? Go over to patreon.com slash poppantheon or click the link in the show notes of this episode to sign up at the icon tier today. And speaking of those things, I think even doubly so in some ways on the second huge hit from this record, which is Waiting for Tonight, a very different sounding song, kind of dance slamming, up-tempo record.
2: Waiting for tonight
0: Also interestingly, with flourishes of Latin music on it, it's got a Spanish guitar element, there's congas, there's glistering horns in the mix, there's maraca noises, but it's also kind of like a Latin house slammer. I think many people consider this to be one of Jennifer's greatest songs. How would you describe this record in particular and how does this also present Jennifer either in ways similar or expansive to the way that we meet her on the first single?
1: It's kind of the other side of Jennifer, right? Right. Here is Jennifer, the pop star with the big universal pop sound. Yeah. And then we're going into Waiting for Tonight, which is her more Latin side, even though it's in English. And the producer of the song is Rick Wake, who at the time was such a big pop producer but he was getting into Latin as well. So I think what they're able to do is that they're able to do Latin for the masses, if you will.
0: Totally. (laughs) So
1: it doesn't alienate the Latin listener, but the mainstream listener is not turned off by it.
0: Totally. It's such a fascinating thing we're returning to again and again here with Jennifer, which is her incredibly canny ability to sort of Trojan horse her (laughs) heritage and like who she is into these mainstream settings. And as you mentioned, it's so unique because this song is just enough of that so that you could feel like she retains that identity but at the same time it just feels like a big boolean, big 10 90s dance slammer at the same time and it's so effectively pulled up she's so smart about every move that she makes and every risk that she takes that she's able to do things that i think probably many had attempted and failed before in terms of trying to find a way to facilitate bringing a latin woman or bringing a latina into the mainstream into the sort of zeitgeist in this particular way and then of course the music video for this is so So incredibly iconic. The Francis Lawrence music video with those green lights. I mean, when you think about music videos of this time period, that's one of the ones that I always think of. And when I think of Jennifer Lopez as a musician, maybe the number one image that comes to me in my mind is her in this music video with those shooting green lasers behind her. (laughs) It's just such an iconic image. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. And you know, one thing that we haven't spoken about, Louis, is the fact that there's a Spanish version of the song in the album. Mm. So it's Una Noche Mas. And this is something that was very much the rage back then in 1999, 2000, 2001 where they were doing these albums in English. Yeah. Ricky and Shakira did the same thing, but they would do versions of the song in Spanish. Yeah. The album would be majority English, but it would include like a couple of Spanish language versions of songs. And she does that here too. I think that's very genius on Tommy's part. Totally, That he was able to say, listen, we got to keep your Latin bass engaged. You come from Selena after all. You've been climbing, but really your stardom is thanks to Selena and and there's this big bass that is following you simply because you represent that culture. So we got to keep them fed and satisfied. Mm. And this is something that we know she wanted to do too. So it was a great combo and doing it right off the gate on her very first album. She could have done an album that was entirely in English. She could have. totally. And I'm sure it would have been equally successful.
0: Right. And then the third canonical hit from this is also another song that sort of treads that line between Latin American music and mainstream pop music, which is a glorious and Amelia written song called Let's Get Loud, yeah. which I think Gloria had originally wanted to keep for her herself, but then decided that she didn't want, and then gave to Jennifer... <laughs> Here you have another song that's very clearly staking its claim as a song by a Latin American artist, but maybe at this point she's on enough of a run that she's able to sort of just facilitate having a song like this become a hit too. But every single choice on here is just incredibly savvy, makes a ton of sense, and is an incredible representation of her ability to play a lot of different roles and funnel it all into a package that feels broadly accessible without losing who she is as a person, which is such a difficult thing to pull off. It's very impressive.
1: It's very hard to pull off before people... People start calling you opportunistic or fake or that you're pandering. And let's get loud. It was great to hear it in the Super Bowl halftime show, wasn't it?
0: Yes. And at the inauguration. (laughs) Yes. I mean, and
1: the fact that the message was important then, because it was. We were living this incredible moment for Latin music. Yeah. And... 20 years later, it's important again. I thought that was a really great full circle moment.
0: Agree. All right. So on the six is an unexpected, maybe not for Jennifer, because it seems like Jennifer knew what was coming. But I think for many, an unexpected smash, multiple hit records, ended up going three times platinum in the United States. She then follows this up in 2001 with another album called J-Lo. Can you talk a little bit about what's happening on J-Lo that's building on or maybe changing the formula of what she was doing on On The Six?
1: I think J-Lo is more of a pop album and less of a Latin album. Yeah. First of all, it has Love Don't Cost a Thing.
0: Yes, the lead single.
1: I think that's a great song.
0: Oh, incredible.
1: That's so Jennifer, right? Yeah. That song is Jennifer Lopez.
0: Yes. It's got that same sort of bombastic kiss offy, this is the way things go. You do this the way I want to, or whatever. It's out the door. And also, I think a more hip hop adjacent song, more overtly hip hop values. I think about the name dropping of certain luxury brands, and of course, the music video where she's leaving the mansion and walking down the street and throwing off all of her clothes, using her sex appeal to her advantage. There's certain lyrics on here, like, doesn't matter if you're balling out of control. There's definitely an overt pivot here. To sort of position herself more as, and I hate to use this term because obviously it's a dog whistle, whatever, but sort of in a more urban direction, it sounds like to me when I listen to Love Don't Cause a Thing, that's what I hear. But I love, love, love this song.
1: And also this song I think was, I hate the word empowered. Yes. I gotta tell you. Yeah. I hate it. Every time people talk about empowering anthems and empowered women, I just wanna ditch that word forever. Yeah. But... It is a female power anthem. It really is. It's fantastic. And I love that. I think it represents her. Yes. I truly think that love doesn't cost a thing for Jennifer Lopez. Because
0: she's so rich on her own.
1: (laughs) She's basically saying, I have everything. I can get anything I want. Yes. I have the success. I have the money. I have the means. Yeah. And I just want your love. That's all I want from you.
0: Yeah. I don't want anything else. It also is very post-Bugaboo, bills, bills, bills no scrubs. It has that sort of arhythmic feel and it has that attitude that I feel like a lot of R&B and hip hop records had at this particular moment. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. It really does embody who she is as a person, a boss, somebody that is able to fully take care of herself, someone who sets her own terms. And I also think canny wrapping in a little bit maybe of the public image, because there's a way in which you could think of this as a response to dating Puffy in a way. You know, you could sort of see her perhaps wrapping in how she's perceived in tabloid media into the song. And I think that that's another savvy and canny way that she might be working the broader celebrity aspect of her pop stardom in this particular moment? I
1: have no doubt. I think she's been very open with intermingling what's happening with her life into her songs. She hasn't been shy. No, that's (laughs)
0: for fucking sure. She has not been shy. No. And then again, I just kind of come back to a little bit more of what I think is going to be a really integral part of this next swing of her music career, which is shoring up the sort of hip-hop nature of her persona. There's this part in the music video where she has cornrows and there's a dance break, and there's a very clear sense that she's trying to warp her image slightly to sort of say, I'm part of hip-hop culture. This is part of who I am as a musical artist. You mentioned she's from the Bronx. This is a big moment, more broadly speaking, that I think Jennifer is a part of where hip-hop is having its biggest crossover into pop chart success ever. I mean, this is a moment where every pop star, every pop song is featuring a rapper. We're very post-Mariah and ODB. We're in this particular moment where hip-hop, or hip-hop and B, as I sometimes like, to call it as having a big moment at the top of the charts and I think Jennifer is part of making that happen and these songs in this era and especially the ones on the remix album which we're going to come to in a second feel like absolute emblems of that particular moment where hip-hop, R&B, and pop are kind of fusing into one thing at the top of the charts. She really represents a perfect vehicle to embody those things through everything that we've been talking about about her so far.
1: And, And you know, Louis, another thing is going back to her Latin fan base. Yeah. This in the Latin realm was very revolutionary. This is a time when there was no reggaeton yet. Latin was extremely pop. Mm. We were pop, 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 pop.
0: Interesting. Pop
1: and tropical. And that was it. So this whole thing of her bringing this little hip hop vibe into it, that was very revolutionary for the Latin side.
0: That's so interesting. Because it's like, I think it would be hard for contemporary audiences to even think about that at this point because they feel so amassed right now in this particular moment.
1: Yes, but at the time was not the norm. That's why I say that I feel in retrospect, Jennifer is, as a music artist, maybe not given the due that she deserves because she did a lot of things that for us in the Latin
0: side were truly groundbreaking. Totally.
1: And in this album, again, she always has her songs in Spanish. She has them here.
0: Yes. I think the trajectory of the JLo album is fascinating because, so Love Don't Cost a Thing, big smash hit, hits number three on the Hot 100. There's a lot of more poppy gestures here as you were sort of talking about at the top. The second single is Play, a song I happen to think is an absolute banger and a half, but it's kind of more of an up-tempo, almost disco-y nodding song. that only hits number 18 and is kind of a modest hit compared to some of her last hits. And then you have the sort of I'm real saga, which of course we've talked about in other episodes, but there's this whole sort of behind the scenes drama with Mariah Carey over the firecracker sample on the original song where Tommy apparently, according to Mariah in Retribution, heard that Mariah had sampled firecracker for Loverboy and then decided to beat her to the punch and sample it on Jennifer Lopez's I'm real. causing Mariah to have to go back to the drawing board, ending up using the sample of Cameo's Candy on Loverboy instead of the Firecracker sample, which then obviously is the genesis of the whole Mariah and Jennifer beef that has transcended through the last 20-whatever years. The infamous I don't know her meme and all of that stuff all originates over I'm Real, the original version of the song.
1: Wow. Well, this is a side of pop culture that you just educated me
0: on. Yes, well, welcome to the deep abscesses of my infected brain. There you are. (laughs) And then you have the I'm Real original song, which is also kind of like another upbeat sort of flirty pop record that doesn't do particularly well. And then you have this really integral pivot in Jennifer Lopez's career, which is the I'm Real remix with Ja Rule, which essentially re-spins the song. Can you talk a little bit about that song, the I'm Real remix, and what that song is doing exactly, what it sounds like, and why you think that song was kind of, in some people's minds, the definitive J-Lo hit?
1: Well, the song, as you say, the original I'm Real was doing okay. And then they go to Jeru and they ask him to remix this. He says, this is not what I do. Right, right. This was very pop for him. Yeah. And so what he did is he remade the song. Right. It really sounds very little like the original. It's a completely different song.
2: Yeah.
1: I would say it's the most hardcore, if you can call it hardcore thing that JLo Lo has done in terms of it's a ja Rule song, really, more than a Jennifer song, I think. Yeah. But it becomes a huge smash, among other things, because people were still listening to the original and they're still listening to the remix. So the combination makes this song a humongous success. On the charts, it's Jennifer's most successful
0: track. I was 14 years old when this song was happening, so I was peak audience for this, and this song was our life. This song was everything, because I think at the end of the day, what she savvily understood here was that she needed to lean further into the hip hop thing. I think that that was kind of the genius move of the entire moment of Jennifer Lopez right here, this sort of imperial phase. This is the peak of her career at this exact moment. This is her sort of musical bread and butter. I mean, this song is a very spare, boom bap sounding hip hop record that samples the Mary Jane girls all night long, you know, an incredible sample. All oh. And is essentially a call and response hip hop song. I mean, it's basically her and Ja going back and forth, almost like they're rapping to each other. I mean, Jennifer is singing, but there's a certain rapping cadence to what she's doing. She also drops the N-word infamously, which as I've been talking about her sort of like trying to ingratiate herself or make herself adjacent to hip hop culture. I remember that being very controversial at the time. I think now that obviously would not fly at all, but she does infamously drop the N-word in the song. But I think that speaks to how she was positioning herself or how culture had positioned her at this particular time. She was part and partial in some ways with hip hop culture. She wasn't trying to be a rapper or anything, but she was part of that world. It felt as though she was bridging the worlds of Latin pop movies and hip hop culture into this one really unique thing. And that was the moment in pop culture. She was so famous because she was absolutely the right vehicle for this moment. She really it was able to organically embody all of the things that were happening through pop music at this exact moment and I think this song perhaps more than any of them whether or not it's your personal favorite I know it's not it does kind of represent the alignment between who Jennifer is and why she was the perfect star vehicle for this particular moment you know I also think about the idea of I'm real I mean we were talking about this at the beginning Jennifer consistently comes back again and again and again to this theme in her music of hey I know I'm the most glamorous beautiful successful woman that you know but I'm also still the home. home girl that's a very very important element of Jennifer's persona this song serves as a mission statement i think in many ways for why jennifer lopez is the pop star of this moment why she is such a successful vehicle for what pop culture has on offer at this moment i think that all kind of combined in this song to me and it's so smart i mean for her to think okay let me ditch these pop tracks and turn them all into more kind of straightforward pop hip hop records was so smart and of course then leads to a series of them she has a second Number one was jar Rule called Ain't It Funny that has a huge Craig Mack flavor in your ear sample. How do you find their chemistry? I mean, a lot of people remember Ja Rule and JLo as like a duo. How do you enjoy listening to the two of them together?
1: Well, first of all, I think that getting him to get on the track was in itself a statement. Definitely. It's Ja Rule. It wasn't some poppy rapper. And I think they gel. It works. And it's very much a duo, like you said. I do see that track as it's not simply he remixed it and jumped on it and has like five bars. No, he's part of the whole song. Right. And he'd takes her
0: out of her comfort zone too. Totally. It's nice, I think, to hear the contrast of his growly, gruff vocals with her soft, sultry cooing. It's a really lovely duet combination, I think. And these songs are very joyful. And I have to tell you, they were just from a 14-year-old's perspective in this time period. These songs were everything. I mean, we were obsessed with that. These videos, her in the juicy tracksuits in the music videos with him. She was just everything. I just remember me and my friends being just absolutely obsessed. And this being kind of the pinnacle of Jennifer's musical career. And I think... Basically, she ends up running with the formula that these songs create through a lot of the rest of her music. I mean, she ends up creating a lot of music that's very hip hop adjacent, utilizing rappers. I mean, this becomes a formula that definitely yeah. works for her through the rest of her career. I think one thing that would be important to touch down on J Lo and its attendant remix album, J to the L O, the remixes are big hits. All of the songs that we were speaking about are very successful. I think this is important to sort of pull back and just talk about the celebrity of Jennifer Lopez. At this moment because one thing that also happens in the interim between J.Lo and the next record is that she starts to date Ben Affleck, another gigantic pop cultural figure. Can you just describe for someone that didn't live through it? I can also help illustrate this for people. How big of a freaking star Jennifer Lopez is at this particular moment? How big of a star is J.Lo in 2002? I'm thinking
1: who would be the equivalent of J.Lo today in terms of female artists. And I don't know that I can think of anyone
0: who was like that. Like Taylor Swift almost in some ways.
1: I was going to say exactly that. I was going to say she would be the equivalent of a Taylor Swift in film. Right. And I'm saying in film because in film she got so big.
0: Right. Because at the same time as all of these songs are happening she's also continuing obviously to have massive success in film. Yeah.
1: It's this double track. Yeah. And what's interesting is that her music which I think some people must have thought at the time okay this is kind of a one album deal right? Right. Okay this is going to be a two album deal and then she's going to go back to her acting but no she's doing her acting and then with the same intensity she's doing the music she was so ubiquitous I don't think there was a
0: bigger celebrity no she was humongous for any of you Gen Zers out there that did not live through this let me just tell you Jennifer Lopez was that bitch she was everywhere she was everything you would go see her in the movies and then you would come home and watch TRL and the videos would be on TRL and on the drive home you'd be on the radio and listening to her having three or four hits simultaneously at one time. I mean, it was like Jennifer Lopez mania. And then you'd open a magazine and she had this massive hyper-covered romance going on with Ben Affleck, which I think people saw as very unexpected. There was nowhere you could turn without seeing her. And the thing that was so fascinating about what she did on her next record, which is 2003's This Is Me Then, is the lead single is the song Jenny from the Block. We can once again talk about her genius branding. So here you have Jenny from the Block, right? Definitely building on the formula from the I'm Real remixes and the Ain't It Funny remix, you've got a definite hip-hop-oriented slammer featuring the Locks, which were a humongous rap group signed to Puff Daddy at the time. Mm -hmm. The record is, of course, a ode to her realness. We still call her Jenny from the Block to this day. I mean, this is yet another representation of Jennifer sort of like, hey, you think I'm this Hollywood glamour puss, but I'm still the girl that I always was. This is a big theme that we get a lot in Jennifer's music. And then you get this music video where Ben is in the music video and they're getting papped in the music video. I mean, talk about someone that's just leaning into it all. I mean, it's kind of extraordinary looking back on it in my mind.
1: I wonder how they even planned that.
0: Yeah, it's insane. How do you feel about Jenny from the Block as a song?
1: I think it's a brilliant concept. Right. And I also think it's her way of reaffirming. All this is happening to me. There's all this celebrity around me. I'm dating the hot hunk of the movies. And I'm in the movies because by then she had all these big movies under her belt. But I'm still Jenny from the block. I think even if you don't like the song.
0: Yeah. Which if you don't, like what's wrong with you? Because the song is amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But even if you don't like the song, you have to like what it is and what it says. And then she did that whole thing where she again put rap into it. Yes. And she's been really, really good at this too. You have this super glamorous woman, super rich, super perfect. Mm -hmm. And yet people keep thinking that she's normal. Right.
0: It's really, (laughs) you know what else I was sort of thinking about, Leila, as I was processing this is, you know, I think an important underlayer of this, she has a very, very authentic seeming relationship to him hip-hop culture. It doesn't feel forced. She works in this milieu. It really is effective. I think it's important to understand now we see the worlds of high-end fashion and movie stardom and hip-hop as all intertwined. At this time, there was a lot of racism coming from a lot of the world of mainstream fashion towards hip-hop culture. Hip-hop always celebrated ideas of high-end fashion and whatever, but the high-end fashion world was very dismissive and racist towards a lot of hip-hop culture at this particular time. There was a lot of separation between the two things. The world of high-fashion did not understand at this time that they should be embracing these rappers that are celebrating their brands and that was the future. That was not clear. Jennifer Lopez, I think, was a key person that helped bring all of this together because she was this woman that was embraced by the fashion world. She was embraced by Hollywood glamorous world. And she was adjacent to hip-hop culture. And I think she provided a very unique package that we're seeing the fruits of today because these worlds seem so intertwined. But she at the time, it was unique to see somebody that could sort of play in all of these realms. And she was somebody that was able to do that really effectively.
1: Well, it's hard to play those realms and come off as authentic.
0: Yes, 100%.
1: You have to really understand that world in the same way that it's really hard to play the Latin card and sound authentic if you're not. It's really difficult. And a lot of people attempt it and they fall flat on their face. She could because this was her world. So she can pull it off. And then not only was it the world she came from, but it's, the world that she associated with, too. So she came from that kind of multi-world. She had mainstream pop, and she had hip-hop culture, and she had Latin. She came from that. And then as she's developed, she stayed connected to those three vectors, if you will.
0: Yeah. I think embodied no clearer than the other aspect of the Jenny from the Block video are these iconic Manolo Blahnik Timberland boots that she wears in the video. They basically look like Timberland boots, but they're also heels. I just remember them from that time. And I remember like thinking of the union of those two worlds of the Timberland boot as the sort of emblem of hip hop culture at that time. And Manolo Blahnik, the most high fashion shoe company of the moment, coming together in this shoe on this woman. It was just a very important and unique thing that was happening happening with her. And I think something that I only really clocked fully in retrospect. Of course, you had rappers like Little Kim and all these people that loved wearing and talking about Moschino and Versace and all these things. But Jennifer was able to, I think, effectively help break down barriers that had existed in these worlds. Mm -hmm. And it's really something I've only been able to see sort of looking back at this. In terms of thinking about the rest of This Is Me Then, I mean, this is an interesting album. I had never listened to this album in full. It's kind of like a soul album. A lot of the songs are like about her love of Ben. There's Dear Ben, which is Kind of cringe to me, honestly, listening to it. I love
2: you. a of
0: my There's I'm Glad, of course, which is a little bit of a Latin vibe to it. There's the famous video where she just flash dance and she lets the water out onto herself and she does a dance. <laughs> oh my
1: god, yes. We were talking earlier about the fact that she's never been shy about taking her life and putting it into her albums. Yes. She really does that a lot. And this is a prime example. She inserts Ben Affleck in there head on. This album wasn't like a blockbuster like other ones, even though it does have Jenny from the block. Yes. But still, I do like this album. I think it's kind of a softer side. And I think that
0: was welcome too. I agree. I think in some ways this was her most album album of any of the ones that I listened to. It was the one time where I really feel like she attempted to make an album as an album statement as much as she possibly could. It felt like the most cohesive to me in terms of listening to it. The one other song I want to talk about from This Is Me Then is, of course, All I Have, which is her duet with LL Cool J, which is obviously like a riff on the I'm Real formula with her and the rapper. Yes. I do love that song a lot.
1: Yes. And after Jenny from the block, the big hit in the album, and just an example that that formula works for her.
0: Yes, 100%. It was a formula. And actually, I think maybe that's an important piece for talking about where things maybe start to get a little bit mushy with Jennifer's commercial success following this record. Because at some point, the sort of effective marketing brain of Jennifer Lopez, I feel like starts to maybe overtake. And the thing does start to feel a little bit formulaic. The thing that she does calcifies into something that's like a formula that maybe starts to lose steam at a certain point. So her next record is 2005's Rebirth, obviously led off by another iconic single. I mean, Jennifer's had some hits. Going back through this music, Layla, I was like, she really has come up with some great hits. The lead single is Get Right. It's a Rich Harrison produced absolute slammer with that sax solo that will just slam you over the head no matter how many times you hear it. Obviously, Rich Harrison at this time was coming off of Crazy in Love and Amory's One Thing. So he has a formula where he sort of takes these soul samples with a lot of horns and works them into like a hip hop and R&B sound.
1: I think it's a big hit. I can't say that I love it like I've loved some of her past ones, but I think every album she does, she has at least one big hit.
0: Right. Yeah. She knows how to find a lead single.
1: Yes. She knows how to find a lead single. And this is a time when you had these... Big albums that had some filler in them.
0: Yes, a few, a few fillers.
1: (laughs) But I appreciate also the fact that it's a lead single where it's just her. I mean, she does remix it, but it's just her. And I think that was also an important statement to make, that she doesn't need to have someone beside her to have the hit.
0: Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Because
1: nowadays, everybody does collabs, and that's kind of the order of the day. But I think back then, collabs were not that common. And so I don't know if that went into the rationale of making this the hit or simply this was the hit. But I like the fact that it is her alone and it's also her way of saying, I can do this.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: I can take care of things. I don't need help.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I agree with you. And also, I think that this stands as in my mind, I mean, we'll talk about on the floor, but kind of like the last great moment of the Jennifer Lopez Imperial mid-2000s sort of run here. Because honestly, the rest of this record was not good. There's some okay songs on it but this is a moment where I felt like the music starts to feel a little bit like product which is an interesting thing because I think Jennifer's always been a savvy marketer someone who thinks about music from both an artistic POV and also a marketing point of view and in some ways I do think there was a moment here with especially her English language music where it started to feel formulaic and it started to feel like she was doing the same thing over and over again. Like there's a song on Rebirth called Hold You Down with Fat Joe which literally is just a Another I'm real runoff 20 times facsimile over and over again. There starts to feel like there's a lack of inspiration on some of the rest of the songs on this record, and it doesn't produce another hit, which I think is really interesting in terms of where her career is going. I'd like to talk about two things. One is she has another record in 2007, Brave, another English language record, which doesn't do well. It's led off by the single Do It Well, which some may remember, but overall this album does not do well. But she does release a Spanish language album that you actually reviewed at the time, (laughs) <laughs> your, your eyes just got very wet. Did I? Yes. Called Como Ama Una Mujer. Sorry, my Spanish is terrible. Can you talk a little bit about why Jennifer might have pivoted suddenly into making Spanish language music and what her Spanish language music sounds like? It's led off by the single, obviously, Que has talk a little bit about Jennifer singing in Spanish at this particular moment? Well, first of all, she was in love with Mark Anthony. Yeah, right. The next great lover has entered the chat.
1: Yes, and he was a producer and a writer on the album, so it makes a lot of sense. And she also worked with Julio Reyes, who was Mark's longtime producer. Yes. And this is someone who's always wanted to explore this Latin side, who's never released a full-length Spanish album, but has been releasing songs. Now she's dating Mark, whose big success really has come from the Spanish-speaking world. So she releases this album and I forget, Louis, what did I say in the review? Was I kind or not?
0: You were very, very favorable to it in a way that other critics were not. Mm, Interesting. You thought that the Spanish-language songs had given her a vehicle to kind of express sides of herself that didn't come through on the English-language music. Well,
1: that stands. I think it's an album that showcases her vocals in a way that I don't think her English-language albums do. Yeah. The music here is far more melodic and lyrical and traditional there is no hip-hop rmb anything in this album this is a traditional latin pop album with big sweeping melodies and big arrangements and i think it's a good vehicle for her voice it's definitely not edgy Jennifer Lopez. No. So in retrospect, looking back on it, I think, huh, I don't know. I think you're Jennifer Lopez and maybe you could have taken a bigger leap with this album. Right. But, you know, she was in love <laughs> and she was working with the man she loved. And so this is a romantic album.
0: I have two questions for you. Thinking about Jennifer Lopez in this period, I mean, we've talked about a lot how she gets dinged a lot for her singing. A, is she taken seriously when she tries to release Latin music by the Latin community at this point in her career? Is that something that the Latin world embraces from her? And is she taken seriously as a musician in general? Even though she's had all of this success, and as we get into 2007, whatever, and her commercial fortunes as a musician start to dwindle a little bit, how do you think Jennifer is perceived as a pop star by these various groups of people?
1: I think what she was lacking was that she hadn't toured. Mm. And she's still not a big touring
0: artist. Which is interesting, given what a great performer she is.
1: Yes. So she's a big recording artist. And I imagine that part of the lack of touring has to do with the fact that she's making movies and those are really time consuming endeavors. Mm -hmm. I don't see how you can balance that. Yeah. But I think there's a little bit of this notion that she is not a real musician because she's not on the road. Mm, Interesting. But in all fairness, I think she's not on the road in part because she doesn't have time to be on the road. But I do think that Jennifer has always a little bit more to prove than other artists musically because she is an actress. Right. So she always has to prove that she can sing and that she can perform and that she can come through.
0: It's so interesting because I went back and I was reading a lot of the reviews of these albums from the time and they're very unkind. I mean, through most of these albums, whether you're talking about J-Lo or This Is Me Then or whatever it is, all of her work. The musical critical establishment did not take her very seriously. It was unkind.
1: Yes. And I think it's a little unfair. Whenever somebody goes into music that's not for music, we hold them up to a higher standard. Right, we right, really do. Right. I think the sentiment is everybody says they can sing. Everybody's a singer. By the same token, everybody is an actor. But I think that seen through the lens of time, especially, I look back at her first songs. I look back at her new songs. I got to say I like her first songs better. Yeah. And I just see a consistency of message. I see a consistency of what she wanted to say, even when she wasn't writing her own songs. And I see a consistency in the image too. I think she was very clear on who she was, what she was doing. And I think perhaps unfairly, she was judged as an actress who was singing versus as someone who genuinely could sing.
0: Mm. And clearly had incredible taste in song selection. Yes. These singles, they hold up amazingly. The good ones are so good. I mean, they really, really are.
1: The good ones have really held up. And I think that you see the full circle moment again in the Super Bowl halftime show.
0: Yeah. All right. So my last question, just before we wrap this Imperial era and just quickly touch on Jennifer over the last 10 years is, is it just sort of the passage of time and music changing and new stars? Why in the late autumn into the early 2010s does Jennifer begin to struggle? I mentioned she has this album Brave, it doesn't perform well. What do you think comes apart here for her in the music world at the end of the 2000s?
1: You know, I thought a lot about this question because you told me you were going to ask it, and I don't think it's Jennifer per se. I think that we forget that music and pop culture and celebrity is cyclical. There isn't a single star who has become hugely famous who stays hugely famous. famous for the duration. And this is the mistake that all new artists make. They think, oh my God, I became a superstar and I will be a superstar forever. Yes. And you're not going to be a superstar forever <laughs> yeah. because someone else is going to come and right. take that away from you. Right, right. So the challenge is this constant reinvention. What am I going to do to get it back? What am I going to do to get it back? So I think, Jennifer, it's not that she did anything wrong. I think she's getting older. Music is different. She's doing different things. She's tried some things that have been less successful than others. But I don't think that it's because she did anything wrong. It's not any faux pas. I just think it's the natural progression of pop music. Pop music peaks, and then some, a lucky few, I will say, manage to maintain a certain celebrity. Yes. The vast majority disappear.
0: Yeah, that's true. I was thinking about this question a lot too, and then I was thinking about it in the context of how she was able to mount a comeback in 2011 with On the Floor, which is that you had this moment, and I was speaking to this earlier, where hip-hop, pop, R&B come together, and she's right there, and she's the perfect vehicle for this particular brand or wave of pop music that happens from the early 2000s right through the mid-2000s. And then by the time you have Rihanna and Lady Gaga and Katy Perry kind of rising up through the ranks, all of a sudden that version of pop kind of goes out and you come into this very distinct era where this pure pop expression of EDM, of dance floor music that dispenses with hip-hop, largely speaking, and goes back to up-tempo, European-influenced music takes hold as a result of these artists. David Guetta. Calvin Harris, all of these big DJs, there's a big wave change that leaves the formula that Jennifer had kind of milked over and over again in the dust. But what's interesting and speaks to the power of the ongoing Jennifer Lopez sort of infinite versatility is that she's able, after a series of sort of failed comeback attempts, including the song Louboutins, which I will insert a clip of here, which is truly one of the hardest things I've ever had to listen to in my entire life. Not a good song. But she finds a hit here in this EDM movement by hearkening back to another version of JLo, lo which is the Waiting for Tonight sort of dance queen that we had gotten introduced to in 2000 or in 1999. She's able to kind of dip back into her bag of tricks and pull out an old version of herself and make it new and fresh through this song on the floor, which is this big EDM dance floor banger produced by Red One, who is Lady Gaga's number one collaborator at the time. But it feels authentic because Jennifer has been dancing dance floor diva queen before in the past. And I think that's part of what makes this song work.
2: The away,
0: what do you think about On the Floor and how she's able to mount this kind of unexpected comeback in 2011? Well, I think it's
1: everything you said, but A, she hooked up with Pitbull for the song. Right. And he was having a moment. Right. This was Pitbull's Pantheon moment.
0: Yes, exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. I'm loose, loose And everybody knows I get off the train. Baby's the truth, the truth. I'm like Inception. I play with your brains. So I don't sleep or snooze, loose. I don't play no games. So don't get it confused. No, because you will lose.
2: And
1: number two, that song samples Lambada. Yes, right. Which was another Latin hit. So she also does that little thing she does where it's an EDM moment, it's an EDM song, it's a big pop hit, it's a red one, but it has a strong Latin element. So she was able to pull her three cores. Yeah. This time, instead of R&B, hip hop, you have ADM. Right. But she's able to pull them all together in one song, which is what she does best. Yes. I think that when she tries to go too far from that, like in her comeback phase, she had a couple of really tropical songs also that I'm like, I know, I hate this. Yeah,
0: like Into You.
1: But when she does what she does...
0: She does it really well She does This song's a banger I love this song Yes It still goes off When you play it in the club too Yes It speaks to the sort of Universal nature of Jennifer Lopez And the frothy energy And the fun that she can bring to tracks Yes It's a really fun song And she makes sense You know Even though at this point She was probably 40 years old releasing this song like, It makes sense for her To be playing in the genre It doesn't feel forced You know As the same way that The hip hop shit Didn't feel forced L-
1: No Louis Wait wait She can be 40 She can be 50 She can be 85 And she's still Can pull it off. Oh, for sure. I don't know how she does it, but she does. She really does. Very unique. Not very many people can do that.
0: I agree. She has one more hit in this vein that comes off of a greatest hits album called Dance Again, which is a similar sounding EDM slammer dance hit. And then over the last 10 years, she's released a lot of music. A lot of it has not appeared on albums. There's been a lot of Lucy singles, both in Spanish and English. She released one more English language album, of course, called AKA that didn't do particularly well in 2014. Is there anything from the last 10 years of Jennifer Lopez music that you would like to highlight that you just particularly liked? Anything that provides promise of what a new Jennifer Lopez album could sound like? Because she does have a new record on the horizon that's supposedly a sequel to this is me then called this is me now is there anything that she's put out over the last 10 years even things that haven't been particularly successful that you just like or that stand out to you in any way
1: i gotta say i liked ain't your mama
0: Mm -hmm. written by megan trainer the god of course
1: i like that a lot i like what she did with that Marry Me, I thought was cute. I won't say that I was enamored of that. But I like that. I like the fact that she did the This Is Me 20th anniversary edition that she re-released that. And I just want to go back to the Super Bowl because it's been two years yeah and we're all waiting for this new album that's supposed to be on the horizon like you said and it hasn't come yeah but to me the Super Bowl was a very revealing Jennifer Lopez moment because she could have simply perform her bangers, perform her hits like everybody does and gone home and it would have been a great show and it would have been a great spectacle and she didn't leave it at that she really took a very bold leap she tried to make a cultural statement she tried to make a social statement mm-hmm. she had all this messaging and the performance and the Puerto Rican flag and the US flag and immigration and she was able to do it I think elegantly in a way that didn't alienate people mm-hmm. and she also managed to make it all fun yep. even as she was delivering an important message and Mm -hmm. I think the fact that she was able to take a song like Let's Get Loud and kind of say this is important to say right now. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very tasteful. I thought it was very thoughtful. I thought it was very brilliant and I thought it showed why she still matters.
2: Let's get loud
1: And I think that that's a hallmark of someone who took risks in the beginning and still does it. And I think that was really remarkable what she did there. I agree. I've always looked at her with a lot of respect. Whether I like the single of the moment or not, I think she's someone I respect enormously. I think this woman is. She's special. But I think what she did that night, I thought was ballsy. And it takes a lot of thought to do this. This is not simply someone who's here for the celebrity. She wants to transcend
0: that. I completely agree. I think that Super Bowl performance, her and Shakira together, is the best one of all time. Mm -hmm. I honestly do. We did an episode a year and a half ago where we watched every single one of them for the last 40 years. And I walked away from that experience thinking that was the best one. (laughs) They both crushed it. They were both great. They were both great. But I agree. Jennifer, she got up there and I think she really solidified for people why she is a superstar for the ages. She is an incredible performer, and I agree with you. Every moment of that was perfect. And that she had to pack this whole career into six minutes as opposed to the normal 12 or 13 (laughs) only made it more impressive. Yes. What do you think is Jennifer Lopez's legacy as a pop star? I mean, of course she has continued and will always continue to be a massive celebrity. She's again back with Ben Affleck. I mean, she's famous as ever in this exact moment. And I think she will always be that way. I mean, I think Jennifer Lopez is one of those people that will be in our lives as pop culture consumers forever. But what do you think is her legacy in the pop space in your mind?
1: I think her legacy in the pop space is, first of all, as a pioneer in bringing Latin music and Latin culture to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. I think she was a very key person in that. And I also think she was a very key person in marrying pop with hip hop. Mm -hmm. I think she was one of the first who really did it convincingly and who really blended those two cultures together. And last but not least, The fact that she's been able to marry film and music, I think aspirationally, she's just somebody that multiple generations look to as an example of what's possible.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I couldn't say it better. And I go back to what I said at the beginning, which is that every star now tries to pull off this multi-hyphenate thing, tries to pull off this giant branding exercise. And she invented what a lot of these people are doing. I think there's so many stars right now that stand in her shadow in music and otherwise. And I still don't think there's many that have done it as well or effectively as she has done it.
1: No, there are not. And she is also a great example of the fact that if you want things in this space you really need to work your ass
0: off. Yeah, it's true. And she's done that so good for her. She is the American dream in the best form of what that represents I think. I
2: love you, puppy. I, love I love you, I love you, love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, love you, love you, love you, love you, love you,
0: love you, love you, love you, All right, let's talk about the pop pantheon. If you had to say where you think Jennifer Lopez fits into the pop pantheon, what tier are you putting her in?
1: Well, in my mind, given your very exacting standards in pop music... Yeah. I wouldn't say she's in tier one. That's like a very rarefied tier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say she's between tier two and three.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think as a celebrity, like if this was celebrity pantheon, she would be tier one, uh-huh. obviously. I think in terms of pop music, I feel like she's tier three to me in the sense that I think her imperial phase on the floor notwithstanding is kind of confined to about six or seven years. True. I think that she's defined a very specific moment. I still think when we think about Jennifer Lopez as a pop star, we still tie her to that particular moment in time. I don't know if she fully was able to transcend that, although On the Floor obviously is an exception to that. I think she just represents a lot of the things about what this tier three thing means as a pop star. But I think in classic Jennifer form, even confining her to the pop pantheon is hard to do because that's (laughs) just such a small fraction of who we think of her as. But I think that's where I would put her ultimately is maybe tippy top of tier three. I think that makes sense to me.
1: I'm going to agree with you there.
0: Okay, that sounds great. (laughs) Last question for you. What is an underrated Jennifer Lopez song? Something that we maybe haven't discussed. Maybe something from On the 6th, because I know you love that album that the audience should just hear, that you think people should know from Jennifer Lopez that maybe they haven't listened to before.
1: You know what song I love? Yeah. (laughs) From Jennifer Lopez that we did not talk about, and it's one of her Latin tracks. I'm not sure if she recorded It's No Me Ames.
2: Okay, yeah, right. Which is
1: actually a remake of an Italian song, if I'm not mistaken. And she did it as a duet with Mark. Yeah. And I think it's
0: beautiful. It is beautiful. I completely agree. So let's go out on No Me Ames. Leila Kobo. thank you so, so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Louis. It's been my pleasure.
0: All right, there you have it. Pop Pantheon Jennifer Lopez, certified tier three superstar. I want to say thank you so much to Layla Kobo for being such a fabulous guest. I want to, of course, thank Russ Martin for everything he does to make this show happen every week. To PJ Vernetti for his help editing this episode. To Alex Lobo for her help with the artwork. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Pop Pantheon wherever you're listening to it right now. Follow us on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod. I'm at DJ LOUAEXIV on Twitter and Instagram. Come to Gorgeous Gorgeous in both New York in LA. Links to my tickets in the show notes of this episode. Join our Patreon at patreon.com poppantheon. Get our merch at poppantheonpod.com. And until we meet again, have a wonderful life. Thank you and goodbye.